0: Well, good morning, church. How's everyone this morning? Listen, are you like me and you've already eaten too much Halloween candy? Anybody in the room? I don't know how this happens because my kids haven't even technically trick-or-treated until tonight, but somehow there's been enough candy that I have, again, overdone it before Halloween has even come about. I love Halloween for a couple different reasons. One is the candy. Anybody in the room? What is your favorite Halloween candy? Snickers. Snickers. You know like the weird Halloween candy like like the uh, Cadbury slime eggs anybody in the room? No? It's like my thing. Or the Halloween peeps? Like the Frankenstein, the the pumpkin? I don't know why, like all, Hall- all Easter candy becoming Halloween is like my thing for some reason. Slime eggs, peeps, those are my thing. But I also like costumes. I like, I like dressing up. And if you come across me at Halloween, typically you're going to find my wife and I trying to coordinate something that would be enjoyable for you to experience as you would encounter us. I've got five different of my favorite Halloween costumes I've found that I want to share with you. So if you're here this morning, like, you know, I've been thinking, what should I wear tonight? You're welcome. I've given you a couple options here. Okay, here's the first one. Listen, this is like next level Halloween. Okay, legs in the bottom, alien. Upper body, human. Crazy, right? How about this one? Yeah? Nothing says Halloween like cockroaches? Scary like cockroaches? How about this one? You don't like that one? That's like like top two for me right now about wearing. How about this one? Jen and I are thinking about doing this one together. That'd be fun and also a nightmare. Last one, the CVS receipt. <laughs> so you're welcome. If you're looking for something this morning that might be helpful to you. So if you find me uh, this tonight with my kids trick-or-treating or whatever, who knows how you'll encounter me, but you can come and see. So we've been in the middle of a series throughout the book of Mark called Encountering Jesus, and we have been seeing all the different people in different ways that Jesus has encountered certain people within the story of Mark, the way they've interacted with him, the way they've responded to him. It's almost as if Mark, the author, is taking kind of a diamond and turning it over and over again, different vantage points, different pictures of who Jesus is, collectively showing us what he's like and what he's come to do. Who he is. There's a really important question all throughout the book of Mark that's being asked over and over and over again for the first listeners, the first readers, but also for us today, and it's very simply this Who is Jesus? Who is he? The beginning of Mark, it begins with what's called the messianic secret. Jesus, over and over again, is healing people, doing miracles, and almost every time he says to them, Don't tell anybody, keep this to yourself. Don't tell anybody. There's a cadence that the way this is rolling out throughout the whole book. So there's this messianic secret and these things that are going on. But over and over again, the question for every person who encounters Jesus is who is this guy exactly? What is he about? The first week we encountered Jesus as good news. The second week as divine. Third week as storyteller. And last week as revolutionary. Did you hear Chad's message here last week, by the way? Let's give a hand to Chad really quick. He's watching online right now. Now he brought the heat last week, great, great message. And so today we're going to find Jesus, encounter him in a new kind of way in chapter five of Mark. And it's an appropriate one for this holiday or this uh, Halloween day, because we're gonna find Jesus in a really creepy encounter in a place called the Gerasenes. So they always give me the easy ones. Are you ready? This is Mark chapter five, verse one through five. Here's what it says. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, A man with an impure spirit or unclean spirit, some translations say, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he he often had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So, interesting story, right? Um, Jesus and the disciples travel across the Sea of Galilee. They go from the northwest side to the southeast side. They leave the Jewish community of Capernaum, and they come to this place called the Gerizim. Now, the Gerizim is a place that is exclusively Gentile. This place is completely removed from the kind of world that Jesus has just been in and the disciples have been in for a while. And they come across the sea to this brand new location, something that's very foreign to the kind of their Jewish way of life. Now, as Jesus exits the boat, it says that there's a man who leaves the tombs and comes and meets him at the shore. And the man has what the Bible calls an unclean spirit. Now, the author, Mark, as he writes this book and he uses this particular Greek word, this is a buzzword in Jewish culture. Unclean is a buzzword. It's actually the Greek word akathartos, and it literally means impure or improper. This word that Mark is using is an indicator of anything that is unholy. You see, in Jewish culture, there were many different things that could cause you to become unclean if you came in contact with them. And if you were unclean, you were improper for worship or connection to God. And so this person that runs out and meets Jesus with these unclean spirits is the reason Mark is using this particular word. Some of those things that would cause you to become unclean is, first and foremost, contact with dead bodies or a tomb would be prohibited within Jewish culture. So where does the man come from? The tombs. This man has been living among the tombs, and on the coast of the Sea of Galilee in this region were rocky cliffs, very, very steep rocky cliffs that had caves within them. And these caves would often be used as burial burial locations. And they were small caves. You could stand in You could move around a bit in them. But this man with the unclean spirit has been living among the dead. The community has tried to keep him there and has tried to hold him there with chains that he's broken with supernatural power. So the man comes to meet Jesus. And first and foremost, he's unclean, unclean spirits. And secondly, he's unclean because he's been living among the tombs. Secondly, the Bible tells us this region they've come to in the Gerasenes, there are pig farmers there. In verse 11, we find out that there are a herd of pigs who are eating along the hillside there. If you're a good Jewish person coming to the Gerasenes and there's pigs everywhere, this is a place you should never be. This would never take place back in Capernaum, but here's Jesus and the disciples in this unclean location, a whole different kind of world. Now, not only that, but this man is suffering from an oppressed and evil spirit. This would have been something as well that Jewish culture would have avoided at all costs. They tried to restrain him with chains. He broke shackles and chains apart. No one could subdue him, the Bible says. Lastly, we're told this man would stay in the tombs and cry out day and night, and he would cut himself with stones. Now, this was actually a pagan practice in the ancient Near East. that was very connected to the occult and to idol worship, and this too was something that was unclean. So suffice it to say in the first five verses of chapter five, Jesus and the disciples find themselves in a place that they should never be. Jesus is in a very scary, scary place and he's come here on purpose and with a reason. It's really important to recognize this reality within this book as Mark writes this is not just a reality for those within the ancient Near East during this particular time, but this is at the risk of sounding sensational this morning. Evil is very present and is a danger in our world today as well. I want to be clear this morning. The devil is real. He has bad intentions for God's good creation. It's not that he hates you, it's that he hates God. And if you can hurt the creation, you can then hurt the creator. And this is his intention within the world. So something I want us to see this morning, I think is very, very important. We are both physical and spiritual beings, all of us. If you are here this morning, if you're watching online, you are a physical and a spiritual being at the very core of who you are. Now, some in the room might be like, I'm not very spiritual, I don't really think about things, I don't really pray, I don't do this, I don't do that, and it doesn't really matter what you think, the reality is you are a spirit, you are a soul that is embodied. We are physical and we are spiritual. This means that we don't just live our life in the physical realm, we actually live our life in the spirit realm as well. But oftentimes it goes unnoticed. But the physical world and the spiritual world are forever and infinitely connected. What we see manifest here within the physical has a backstory within the spiritual. You see, we live in a culture that oftentimes is just too advanced for this. We'd rather not think about this. We'd rather just kind of keep it something that is just humor. So when we think about devil or evil or demons or anything like this as presented in chapter 5, oftentimes we see a little guy in red tights run around with a pitchfork. It's just a a costume we wear during Halloween. But the truth is, it's not just a physical thing, and it's not just a joke. And, And I can't overstate this enough, how dangerous this is, and why this is an important discussion for us today. If evil just becomes a joke, then evil is given free reign, not just in our community, but truly all around the world. I've often wondered why we don't have the kind of experience that's expressed here in Mark chapter five in kind of Western culture all the time. It's not a common thing for us. We don't often think about it or experience it. But for anyone who's traveled around the world, more than likely you've gone to potentially a place where this is an actual reality that happens every single day. If you've been to Africa, West Africa, if you've been to Haiti or places like this, this is a reality because cultures there function very much aware of the spiritual world around them. And when they do, what I believe happens is evil presents itself in this kind of way. You see, within our culture, the evil one doesn't have to do it exactly like that. All he has to do is present himself through materialism, power, perversion. And I want to be clear. Neither one is more dangerous than the other. They are one in the same. That being said, it's not unheard of. In the past four years, there have been different circumstances, instances within our community where we have seen something that is not natural, but something that is supernatural, something that is evil. And each time that we've gotten involved with something like this, very clearly we begin to recognize that something is going on here that is not just a physical presence, but something that is much more much more dark. This is not some ancient Near Eastern story from long ago. It's not just a creepy thing that's taken place in a country far away. It's in our own backyard. This is something i don't usually talk about and i've never actually shared it from the stage until nine o'clock this morning but as a kid in third grade my family was involved in um, deliverance ministry at our church in indiana and as a third grade kid there was a period of about four or five months where i began to experience um, certain um, evil things kind of uh, affecting me and my family specifically uh, that I did not understand at all as a third-grade kid. And even to this day, it's not something that I lead with. This is not like a conversation starter, right? And I don't often talk about it because it's, very, it's highly personal to me, and it's a very difficult thing to actually kind of revisit from time to time. But I think it's really important to talk about this morning. So for about four or five months when my parents were involved in this, um, this, these classes at the, at the church, uh, I began to experience all kinds of things, from, from voices to, like, visual disturbance, uh, a lot of different things like this. And I would tell my parents what was going on. They would give me books to read at night to try to go to sleep. I would try to color to go to sleep at night. And and a lot of the nights I would end up in their bedroom on the floor trying trying to get some sleep. And after about four or five months, my parents realized what was going on here was not just a third grade kid who didn't know how to explain what was going on, but actually something was going on that was not just physical, This is something spiritual in nature. And so I will never forget as a third grade kid, we called our pastor and my pastor came over to our house and we sat in the garage around a card table and like yesterday, I can hear him explaining to me. I was a Christian at this point in time. I became a Christian when I was seven years old. And he explained to me, there's a spirit who lives inside of you that has more power than any kind of evil spirit within the world. So he said, I want to teach you a prayer. He said, I want you to pray. If this happens again, I want you to pray and say, Satan, you have no power. I have all the power living inside of me through Jesus. And I step on your head like an ant. I was in third grade. So I could understand that. I step on your head like an ant. And we practiced it over and over again in the garage. And sure enough, that night we went to bed and and the same thing happened. And with full integrity this morning, I can say to you, I prayed this prayer that was taught to me from my pastor that day. And as soon as I prayed it, boom, done. It was silenced, it was stopped. One time in eighth grade on an Indian reservation in Oklahoma on a mission trip with my family, there was a similar experience, but other than that, never again. And I learned something that day that there is a spirit that we are offered as followers of Jesus that holds so much power and so much sway, not just in the physical world, but in the spiritual world, over all things. I'm walking a very fine line here this morning because I want us to be aware without being obsessed. Does that make sense? I want us to be aware of what's going on around us without obsessing over this particular thing. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the late writer and theologian, he said, you can give the devil too much or too little attention. We can give him too much attention, give him power he doesn't deserve, or we can give him too little attention and we act like it's a joke and it's not really a reality. And let's be honest, this is not something we talk about. This is not a side of our theology we bring up often because it's difficult. It's not easy, it's often misunderstood. But I feel like this morning we have to You see, the devil within this passage does a couple things that are very important. Number one, he causes confusion, isolation, and misery within this man's life. The man who comes from the tombs to meet Jesus, he's confused. His mind is confused. We know this because later on in the story, after Jesus has done his work within his life, it says that he's found seated, clothed, and in his right mind. There's a confusion that goes on here. Here's what the evil one loves to do within our life confuse our mind in the way that we think. We no longer believe the things to be true that were once true. We begin to call bad things good things, wrong things right things, and right things wrong things. We have a hard time separating fantasy from reality. We become confused within our minds. Secondly, this man is isolated. The scriptures tell us that he lives in the tombs and he's chained up, kept away from the community. No family, no friends, no semblance of a relationship. It's all gone. This is the most dangerous place for us to be because it's an ideal setting for the evil one to work within our lives. When we become isolated. We question our own value, our own worth, and we convince ourselves that everyone has abandoned us, including God. He's confused. He's isolated, and clearly he is miserable. Day in and day out, night after night, he cries out and he tears his flesh with stones. And the self-harm is a result of his miserable state. You, You see, you are a physical and a spiritual being. You are spirit and soul that is embodied. And there is infinite connections between the two. And we cannot lose sight of this. So Jesus and his disciples, these teenage boys, they travel with him across the sea to the garrisones. The first thing they experience is this man coming out from the tomb, clearly has some issues going on, chains falling from his arms and his wrists. And the reason Jesus comes here and he faces this evil down, he does not back down is because Jesus' love drives him to certain places, scary places because of his love for people. This is why he's come his love for people into scary places, Jesus is willing to go. I've done student ministry for 16 years, and I've never had a permission slip that would have allowed this. right, Jesus comes to these teenage boys. There's no permission slip he could have given to their parents. Like, listen, we're going to the garrisons. There's going to be a demon-possessed man. It's going to be a bit intense. Uh, If you just sign right here, that way I can take him to the hospital if I have to. Like, whatever. That is not a permission slip that I've ever seen before. And yet Jesus takes these teenage boys to this particular area, And here's the experience they have from the very get-go. But here's why. Jesus' love for people drives him into circumstances and situations that are scary, that are difficult, that are hard. But he does so because he's always offering people true freedom. Real freedom from oppression. Real deliverance from the things that hold them back. And these young teenagers come along with him. To experience it. It's a, it's a form of discipleship to show the power that Jesus has, not just in the physical, but also in the spiritual. There's a passage from 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that I believe the writer is giving the primary reason why he believes Jesus came to earth. Here's what he says in 1 John 3:8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It's a part of his nature. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Did Jesus come to die on the cross for us? Yes. Did he come to feed the hungry and take care of the sick? Yes. Did Jesus come to forgive us of our sins? Yes. But first John would argue that the primary reason that he has come is he has come to destroy the works of the devil in Jesus' name. He has come to reverse the effects of the fall of man. Every way that sin has broken the world around us, Jesus thwarts that, and he brings healing, grace, and forgiveness. This is why he's come. Not only that, but the Gospel of John says it this way in John 10.10. John 10.10 says "The, the thief has come, the evil one has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. The evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, the intention of this unclean spirit in this man's life, very clear from the get-go, and it takes place in a different kind of entity later on, is destruction. To kill, steal, and destroy, to break families, establish addiction, steal joy, spread lies. This is what the evil one does. That's his intention from the get-go. But Jesus comes to give us life and life to the full, Here's what Mark chapter five shows us, that Jesus comes with an authority and a power, not just to this man, but to us as well, that is not just effective in the physical and not just effective in the spiritual, but both. He holds power and authority over all things. And you see it within this story, the first response this man has to Jesus when he lands on the shore and he gets out of the boat, he comes from the tombs. Here's what it says in verse six. When the man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his lungs, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit, your unclean spirit. Then Jesus said to him, What is your name? The man said, My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of this area. So the first response from this man is to come and kneel before Jesus. And what does the man say? Jesus, son of the most high God. It is the clearest uh, name that we have in Mark chapter 5 up to this point of who Jesus actually is. It's interesting to me that the only entities in the story who seem to understand who Jesus is are the evil ones. Everybody else is still trying to answer this question. Who is Jesus exactly? Who, who is he? All this is so confusing to us. The only ones who actually get it are the evil ones who are in full, clear view of who Jesus is. And they know that he holds authority and power over all things. So the man runs, he kneels before Jesus, but he speaks a name of Jesus, the clearest name to this point of who Jesus is. And here's why. You see, in the ancient Near East, to be able to speak someone's full name was actually an element of control. If you could speak someone's full name, it was a way for you to control them. I would argue there's a spiritual battle going on here between Jesus and these unclean spirits in this man's life. And they're attempting to speak his name clearly to have control over him. But look what Jesus does. What's the first thing Jesus says? What's your name what's your name and the man responds legion for we are many you see jesus is taking control of the situation full of authority full of power what is your name now this name that is given here this name legion it's a very important name for a couple reasons One, the area of the Gerizines was a location that was uh, oppressed by Roman military for a very, very long time. A Gentile location, but oppressed by Roman military for a very long time. And the name Legion, this word Legion, actually is the largest military unit in the Roman military, composed of 5,000 to 6,000 soldiers. For the man to respond, my name is Legion, what he's saying is two things. First... The physical oppression of the Roman Empire seems to be connected to the spiritual oppression that's taking place in this man's life. There's infinite connections between the physical and the spiritual. But secondly, this man is not just suffering from one unclean spirit, he's suffering from what? Thousands, thousands. But Jesus has its name. That's all he needs to assert control and power and authority over what's taking place within this man's life. Here's what I think is so important for us to hear this morning. I really, (laughs) we've gone some places this morning already, so I'm just gonna go for it. Here's what I want you to hear. If you can name it, Jesus can heal it. If you can name it, Jesus can heal it. You see, the biggest question I have within this story is how does this man end up in this kind of situation? How does he find himself living in the tombs, chained up, cutting himself with stones, out of his mind? How does he find himself in this location? we're not given this, this uh, reasoning directly, but there are some hints along the way. The first one is this, perhaps this man we know was not Jewish, this man was a Gentile, perhaps he was involved in pagan worship in that area in specific ways. The cutting of the stones was a practice in worship that would take place within some of these pagan religions. Potentially, he was doing this a long time before he ever found himself among the dead. And he's continuing this practice on and on. But if you can name it Jesus Can heal it. You see, a large part of experiencing spiritual freedom is being able to name that thing that has bound you and chained you into your current circumstance. Maybe even now you can think of certain things that that seem evil to you, or you you don't understand why this is a continual issue or struggle that's going on in your life over and over and over again. I believe if we can spend time thinking and being able to name these things, we can find freedom because there are certain open doors and entryways for unclean spirits to take up residence. There are things that we can do in our life, interests that we can have, practices that can be done in secret, that can be open doors and entryways for what the evil one would love to do. My family recently went camping in the mountains with a good friend of ours, family of ours, and we do this often with our camper. We'll go someplace and we have a black tote that we always put all of our food in when we go for the weekend. So we put all the things in there, the bread, the coffee, the whatever, and we use it throughout the weekend, we pull from it. And every time we come home from camping with the camper, one of our first jobs we have to empty out that black tote, throw everything away, then it can go back into the barn. Because if you don't, you'll have visitors vermin, mice. So recently we came back and we got everything out of the tote except for a few things, my fault. And I came back into the barn to get it for our next trip. And sure enough, when I opened up, there was evidence of mice everywhere, if you know what I'm saying. And my wife um, was not super happy. And so this black tote was full of this. And and there's something that is just a, a true statement. If you allow entrance into something, if there's an enticement there, empty food, left in a black tote, you will have visitors unfilth there every single time. It'll fill the void. If you take it out and you get rid of it, there's no room anymore for that, un- that unhealthy, that unclean, that filth to show up again. There are open doors and there are entryways. If we are not careful, we can allow certain things into our life that become an issue and a problem for us. This man potentially is issue with his connection to the occult and idol worship within pagan culture that found himself in the place that he found himself vulnerable and chained. These doorways can be obsession with with dark fantasy, books, and movies. These doorways can be a substance like drugs, alcohol. These doorways, entryways, can be addiction to pornography, sexual perversion. These doorways can be unconfessed sin, unforgiven sin, deep shame, deep guilt, anger, bitterness, among others. And if the food is left out and there's a way in, everything unclean will always find itself there. So, can you name it? Can you name it? This is the thing. This is the open door. This is the entryway that I'm allowing this evil into my life. It's the source of suffering. Can you name it? And if you can, Jesus can heal it. What's the first thing the man does? He runs up to Jesus and he gets on his knees. Because Jesus holds all power, all authority. He kneels before him. It's an act of worship. I would argue that for some of us in the room this morning, what we don't need is another sermon. We don't need to read another book or have coffee with another friend or have someone give us more advice. What we need to do is be in submission to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? You're the one who gets my life. I'm not making the calls anymore. I'm not calling the shots anymore. And in fact, I'm gonna go into my life, all the deep, dark corners, anything that's there that is a doorway, that is an entryway, I'm pulling it out, I'm getting rid of it, and you get to take control. If we would just do that, we would see things transform, guaranteed. There have been times in my own life I've had to do this hard work. There are people who I know who've had to do this hard work to experience true and lasting freedom because Jesus holds all power and all authority in this story and in our life. If you can name it, Jesus can heal it. I believe it to be true. So Mark chapter five, verse 11, here's what Jesus does. It says, a large herd of pigs, here we go with the pigs, the unclean pigs, were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them what? Permission. This is an important word. You see, Jesus is in control of all of this. He, he gave, gives them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake, and they were drowned. Those who were tending the pigs ran off and reported to the town, a bunch of tattletales, and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, listen to this, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. But look at the response. They were what? Afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus or beg with Jesus to leave the region. They begged Jesus to leave the region. Now, for any animal activist in the room, I understand 2,000 pigs running down the steep shore into the water and drowning is a very traumatic thing within the story. But you have to keep a couple things in mind here. If you're a first-century Jewish reader, you're like, absolutely, it goes into 2,000 pigs. They're unclean. That's what happens. Not only that, but this man is now freed because these things leave. Who knows what other kind of torment would have gone had those things been allowed to stay within this man and in this community? It's an act of mercy, an act of grace. That Jesus sends them out, gives them permission to go and then be destroyed in the end. To run down into the abyss, which by the way is the ultimate location where these kinds of things, this evil nature ends up in the end. Jesus wins. Everything. It's a bit premature, but this is what's going to happen to all of them. They'll be destroyed. So Jesus does this. Now, what's interesting to me is when the people come from the town and they see this man dressed and in his right mind, he's gone from confused, isolated, miserable, he's now at peace and dressed. He can see his family. This should be a reason for joy. What's the response? Fear. They're afraid. And here's why those 2,000 pigs that just went into the ocean, that's a lot of money, a lot of property, a lot of possession. See, the people from this town are more concerned about the swine than they are about somebody's soul, more concerned about property than they are a person. Far be it from us that we'd overallow our own possessions, posture, our own peace to keep us from allowing Jesus to bring peace to someone else and freedom to someone else. They plead for Jesus to leave. Just get out of here. Far be it from us that we would ever allow Jesus, the work he's trying to do, we'd ever allow it to leave. We would say more, Jesus, more. Bring freedom here, bring freedom everywhere. Mark wants us to feel this. What, what does it say about our heart condition that we would care more about these things than the transformation that's taken place within this man's life? Mark chapter five, verse 18. The man is... Seated, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, they're fearful, they tell Jesus to leave, so Jesus does. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were what? Amazed. All the people were amazed. So this man wants to go with Jesus, wouldn't you? Jesus has literally given you your life back, given you freedom, broken chains, broken bondage, delivered you. I'd be like, Jesus, I'll go wherever you go. I want to follow you wherever you go. But Jesus gives a lesson here in discipleship. Sometimes it's not just going where I go. Sometimes it's going back to your own place, your own hometown, people who knew you before and what you've gone through recently, and they can see you now, and you can tell your story. The Decapolis was 10 cities around that region, and this man is a forerunner of the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. Before Paul, before anybody else, this guy's the one who goes and tells the story. Here's why, freed people free people. Freed people free people. I know folks from this church who have experienced deliverance from all kinds of things, adultery, abuse, addiction. And the most powerful thing is when someone who comes from that kind of place then goes to someone else who's there themselves and says, listen, I can help you. When I was in college, my freshman year of college, I had never been to a corn maze before. I'm from Indiana, so you think that's like, we do it all the time, but I'd never been to a corn maze. And some friends of mine uh, on my hall, we went to, it was like kind of fall time, Halloween time, we decided to go to this, this corn maze not far from our college. And so we went there and when we got there, there's a lot of like kitty stuff outside. So I thought this has gotta be easy. Like how lost can you get in like a field of corn? This can't be that hard. And so we split it up in little groups and then we, we started going through the corn maze. And I'll be honest with you, me and a couple other guys, we got so lost. I would still be in the corn maze today had not someone come and helped me. We made every wrong turn. We came back on where we were. Whereas even in the middle of the corn maze, a little place you could get tall, like a little bridge. And we went up there and we looked around and you think that would help out, but not for us. We just continued to get lost more and more and more lost. Finally, someone who had made it out of the corn maze already, another friend from another group from our hall came back in to find us. And they finally found us and said, listen, if you follow me, I can tell you how to get out. Like if you, if you follow me, I've been out on the other side. I know how to get there. If you just follow me, I'll take you right out, no problem. And we did, we got out. Who better within this story to go back to his hometown? Maybe others who find themselves in the same place and say, hey, listen, I, I know how to get out of this. I've experienced freedom and I can help you experience freedom too. If you'll follow me, I'll introduce you to somebody, he'll transform your life. See, if you've experienced the power of Jesus working in your life, that is a story that you have to tell, have to. You've been freed from addiction, follow me, I'll show you how to get out. You've been freed from bitterness, follow me, I'll tell you how to get out. You've been freed from sin, follow me, I'll show you how to get out of here. Because freed people free people. This morning, if you find yourself in a place you don't want to be, if you find yourself wrestling things with, you know, that you don't want to wrestle with anymore, I just want to tell you this, there's a man named Jesus who can absolutely free you. Submission to him and allowing him to come into your life and clean out all the dirty corners, all the filth. He can make you new. You can have the life back that you've always wanted. You can live in a way that honors him. You can be the husband, the wife, the father, the mother that you've wanted to be. You're under no obligation, we shared two weeks ago, to live the same life tomorrow as you live today. None. None at all. This morning, I want to pray for us i'm just going to pray boldly because i really believe the spirit of god can do all the things we've talked about it's a sensational story absolutely it's one that we don't do on flannel graph for little kids often okay i get it but i know this the spirit of god can do things within our life if we allow him to that he can't do otherwise so this morning let's allow him to come and work within our hearts would you bow with me let's pray Jesus, we come before you this morning and I ask God boldly that your spirit would be thick in this room today, a spirit of peace, a spirit of calm, a spirit of forgiveness, of love, of grace, of mercy. I pray against, in the name of Jesus, any other spirit that would want to cause harm, kill, steal, and destroy. God, we wanna experience life and life to the full. Would you remind us that we are physical and we are spiritual beings. There's an infinite connection between the two. I pray this morning, God, we would want so badly to experience freedom that we'll follow you wherever you go. And if we have experienced the freedom of Christ, give us the boldness to proclaim it to anyone we come across. Help us to follow you by being honest about our story. So God, we love you this morning. And we need you today. Would you do something that only you can do? Would you bring us true freedom? It's in your name we pray and everyone said, amen.